Welcome back to another edition of the OWASP PDX Podcast. Our special guest today is Laura Chappell. She's a leading expert in network packet analysis, a public speaker, educator, and author, including several best-selling books on Wireshark and TCPIP. She's a founder at Chapel University that helps students to prepare for the WCNA certification exam. Her work doesn't stop here on Earth's terrestrial internet. She also researches the Interplanetary Internet, or IPN, where round-trip times across the vastness of space are measured in minutes and not milliseconds. Her passion is to motivate young people to embrace a career in network communications and to solve the challenges associated with the IPN. Laura invites you to the Core IT virtual conference coming up on March 24th through the 30th, 2020. The event brings together existing and next-generation industry talent to train, speak, and mentor. It's free and virtual. Check out our podcast webpage for more details. Laura Chapel, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. Tell us about yourself. Did you always want to work in communications, especially networking and security? No, I actually wanted to be a balloon artist. Um, a balloon artist. Balloon artist. Uh, you know, people think I'm joking about that, but that was something I just really wanted to do. I thought that was most fabulous job you could ever have in the world. Everybody loves balloon artists. So I sort of got derailed on that. And, and now I realize I can only make two balloons, a zero or a one. So I guess it's fitting. <laughs> yeah, it is fitting. Definitely. Yeah, so how did you get into that? Was it like, especially now that today they have a lot of programs, academic programs that do that. But uh, at least for me and many other people that I talked to, it was more like a happenstance thing that you get into security and networking. Yeah. You know, it, it, it happened because of Catholic boarding school, I tell people. I was at Catholic boarding school, and I would go to my father's office in San Francisco whenever I had breaks. And I walked in there one day, and they had this big machine there called an NBI 3000. And this was the machine that really took over from the IBM Selectric, one of the many word processing systems that took over from the IBM Selectric. And I looked at this thing. I, I was just fascinated by it. And I ended up taking a class in how to work that machine. And then I came back and taught everyone in my father's office how to use this thing. So I, I got a very early love of not just learning, but also teaching what I learned. And of course, the IBM, you know, the IBM PC came out right after that. And I couldn't get enough time with the IBM PC just trying to understand how this thing works. So I was very fortunate to be introduced into the technology field very early, right when the IBM PC was released. So yes, I do have a lot of gray hair. <laughs> <laughs> Two of the best known authors that come to mind, uh, at least for me, regarding teaching security subjects are the late Sean Harris, who wrote the Sys Study Guides, and you, Laura Chapel, and your books on Wireshark and TCP IP. But what I think is more impressive, though, is that both of you started at a time when there were very few women working in the industry, did you face hardships? And if so, how did you overcome those challenges? Oh, wow. You know, I think, yeah, it, I remember going my very first day to go work for Novell. Novell had hired me to be the first technical female hire. And I remember walking in there and interestingly enough, you know, I did I never felt that it was so unusual that I was a female in that field because we were all so 
driven to learn everything we could about what was happening. At that time, you had to spend a lot of time learning things like ArcNet and GNet and Token Ring and Ethernet. Mm -hmm. So we were spending so many hours learning together. I think there was this very strong team mentality right away when I worked there. There were a few people that did wonder why I was not married and at home and having babies. But really, those people just sort of stepped aside as we're, you know, we we're entrusted to learn more technology and share that technology and all. So, you know, back then, I, I, I didn't hit a lot of that, or I could have possibly been too ignorant to have even noticed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do have a tendency, I think, sometimes when there's a roadblock or something, I perhaps may not, I may be the last person to notice it. And I think that that helps. So many of the tools that we use in the OWASP community focus on the web apps themselves, such as static code analyzers and pen testing tools like Zap and Burp Suite. And for some, at least I've noticed for some of the security folks in our community, maybe that's all they want to do. But let's say you're their mentor, Laura. Why should they also learn how to analyze network packets using a tool like Wireshark? Oh, I wish I could take everyone that's in the industry, whether they're focused on performance or they're an application developer, or they're focused on security. And I wish I could start them with the strong packet level knowledge of TCP IP, what's happening at at the communications end. There are a lot of times where someone will come to me and say, hey, you know, we have these tools and these tools are telling us we have some sort of a problem on the network, but they don't necessarily understand exactly down to the details how that problem happened and how they could have spotted that problem sooner by setting up triggers on certain types of packets. So I always tell people that reading the packets is like learning another language. But once you get that handle on it, where you can look at the communications taking place on the network, you know exactly then how to break into a network, certainly, because you know all of these different vulnerabilities just from the protocol standpoint. But you can also spot things that are unusual. For example, I went to a customer once and we were focused on troubleshooting their network. It was a very large hospital network and just a very well-known hospital. And mm-hmm. as I was teaching the class, we were focused on TCP IP communications and we were particularly focused on the boot up sequence on these client systems that it was taking too long. Packet count was too high. And we found out that you know they're, they were making copies of too many directories and downloading it to the start. So there were just some things happening there. And all of a sudden the beepers went off all in the room. And when that happens in a room, usually there's something really horrible happening on the network because these are all the IT people sitting in there. Turned out that they had somebody that was coming into their main pharmaceutical server, the the server that managed all of the different pharmacy requests that were taking place for this particular state. And the tools that they have could tell them certain things about who was, you know, the login names and the passwords and things they were using. But once we started capturing the traffic, there were some indicators that provided us with some additional information on exactly who was coming in to that network. And it was from the packet level that we could actually identify the perpetrator. And then we could put in some blocks and some warning notifications that if the traffic comes in like this and this header is using this particular field value in this way, then we know we've got this this organization coming back 
at us again. So it's just amazing the number of things that you can learn if you start looking at the packet level communications. And of course, all these tools are based on that. You know, they're going and looking at the packets and doing your interpretation for you. But it, I think it's much better to understand what is normal yourself, the packet level. Let me go to the other side then. Let's say you master the packet level analysis and, and the tools itself, right? I think it's constantly growing. But it seems to be that one must also understand the human psychology that, say, generate that network traffic in the first place. For example, you might be helping law enforcement to establish a timeline for a criminal investigation. Maybe you need to get into the mind of the criminal and then tie that back to the packet analysis. Do you have any favorite war stories to share where this perspective helped you during some analysis? Oh, gosh, yes. And I think this ties back into that initial question you had about being a a female in the high-tech industry very early on, that that was a very unusual situation. I think one of my favorite projects I ever worked on was when I went into a company as a secretary. It was a law firm and law enforcement needed a tap put into a location that was a little different than just going into the wiring closet. I think there was, at that time, there was some concern as to whether the someone in the IT department might be involved in this. So I was actually placed as a legal secretary at a desk in front of the suspect's office. And from that location below the desk, I actually was tapping into his communication and listening to everything that was coming to or from his system in his office. And I think the funniest thing was that I had I had done a stint earlier as a legal secretary because I was involved in installing computer systems and network systems in a lot of law firms. And so I knew just enough about legal secretarial work to get myself in trouble. Number one, I could not handle the phone systems that they had. And there were pleadings that had to go to court by a certain time. And back then you had to, you know, space and a half things. And, you know, this man would come out and yell at me, just scream at me saying I was the worst secretary that this temp agency had ever sent him. How did I ever get this job? And I sat there, I just had to listen to it and take it. But the interesting thing was at that time, I had started doing presentations at some of the larger tech conferences, the Microsoft conferences, and Novell used to have their brain share. And so there were certain people in the tech industry that were starting to get to recognize me. And sure enough, as I'm sitting there pretending to be this legal secretary and doing everything wrong, somebody from the IT department walked by and stopped and they looked at me and then they they looked again and they looked again and I thought, Oh, I'm in, I'm in big trouble here. They're going to, they're going to blow this. You know, they're going to say who I actually am and what I'm doing here. And the the guy turned to me and he said, aren't you Laura Chapel?" And I, he said, I, I think I just saw you at a tech conference. I said, oh yeah, that stuff just wasn't working out for me. And a waitress, <laughs> a law enforcement group came by and they just grabbed him and whisked him away, <laughs> away right away. But I just thought, oh man, you, you can't, you can't get away with those things now that I used to get away with back then, just because people will recognize me if I'm, you know, sitting there doing balloon animals at the restaurant today, you know? (laughs) Well, that's pretty cool. Okay. Well, I had a line here said now for some really cool stuff, but that was really cool. Um, 
<laughs> that was interesting. Okay. <laughs> Let's move to today and some really cool stuff. You also do work in interplanetary communication systems, and you're a member of the Interplanetary Networking Special Interest Group. And I believe you're working on creating standards for it, much like what we see with the existing suite of internet protocols. How did you ever get this gig? <laughs> It's a great gig, I'll tell you. Uh, it's the future of networking. And it, it came up uh, in, I think it was around, you know, it's, it's relatively recent. December of 2018, I think, is when all the world was talking about the New Horizons spacecraft that was going to go out into the Kuiper Belt. It was, going to, it was going to see an object that we had never seen before. It's just a dot and a blip on, a, on an image that was from Hubble at that time. And there was this countdown going to, to New Year's on this. And I remember seeing Vint Cerf do a presentation about interplanetary communications back at a conference, possibly... Oh, it must have been, yeah, I think it was 2009. And he picked up actual communications and showed us with Wireshark that Wireshark already had the, the dissectors for this thing that's called the bundle protocol that adds on to TCP. And I was fascinated back then, but it didn't feel real to me, I think, until the New Horizons project came along. And then suddenly we had this event taking place where we were going to see something that had never been seen before. This thing is, you know, you know the round trip latency time is, is 12 hours minimum when you start talking about going to some of these locations. And, and this idea came up of, you know, how on earth are we getting these images back? How are we communicating with these target systems so far out? And it brought me back to the, the delay and disruption tolerant networking that Vint had put together. He, you know, he... He wrote the RFC on this, RFC 4838, back in April of 2007. And when this flyby happened for Ultima Thule, which has now been renamed, but every, most, most people recognize it as Ultima Thule. When this flyby happened, there was something different that had taken place. We had sent up these CubeSats, these briefcase size boxes that just had the job of getting the data back to us. So I started doing some research into CubeSats and the development of CubeSats and, you know, this amazing technology of actually growing solar panels. They're an organic matter that's grown. And as I was going through this process of, of learning what we were doing, I was sharing this with not only my kids who are, you know, in their early 20s, but I was also sharing it with some friends' kids that were all the way down to six years old. And everyone got so excited learning about these technologies and how do we get information back to the earth? You know, we have something called the mm -hmm. Space Network and DSN, which is just, see, now you've got me started. I could, I could talk <laughs> about this. I think it is so fascinating, but it reminds me of when I started in this industry and we were all so excited and enthusiastic and really everything was so new and studying interplanetary communications and looking at how do we deal with the delay and fault tolerance and you know what do you do with authentication you can't have someone you know breaking into your your data stream once you've found the perfect landing site boy it just it's so exciting to see this and of course interplanetary exploration is just going crazy these days so it's very mm -hmm. timely. I'm also the student outreach chairperson for HTCIA, which is the High Technology Crime Investigation Association. 
And this is one of the tools, the interplanetary communication system is one of the tools to get this next generation excited about IT and cybersecurity. They're going to have to deal with security of signals that are going to be beamed back from, from Mars when we have an outpost there. I mean, we've got the Artemis project coming up with the outpost on the moon, which is going to be really our stepping stone to Mars. But, oh, I, it's just fascinating. And I think it's a great way to bring in that next generation into the IT environment, get them into learning how. Yeah, get them to do it. Yeah. 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 And I think you mentioned it though, but I'm excited too, in the sense that it sounds like there's also being research done involving security and even possibly privacy in this domain. Basically, will there be a TLS for space? Absolutely. Absolutely. When, you know, when we look at terrestrial networks, which is what we call the internet, it's so strange that the internet, oh, oh, you mean that old terrestrial thing? Um, <laughs> we, we talk about the terrestrial internet and then we talk about the interplanetary internet and we, we write it down as IPN. But we literally are taking TCP IP from the terrestrial internet, moving it into space and bringing in a lot of the security technology that we have on the terrestrial internet to our, you know, interplanetary internet. But the interesting thing is that when when we talk about security on the terrestrial internet, we talk about that CIA triad, right? We talk about confidentiality, mm-hmm. uh, integrity, and availability. But when you get to interplanetary communications, they've actually broken it down to four pieces there. So it's confidentiality, integrity, availability, and authentication. We always need to know in these communications, did this really come from that lander at that location on that planet? Did this really come from mission control? Because and it's got to be built in because we would hate to see a situation where some organization breaks into the data stream and falsifies some of the information. And now you have a lander that's going to land, you know, right in the middle of a big crater and it's going to be stuck there. And, you know, God forbid we have humans on board on one of these missions and, you know, landing communications is falsified or something like that. So, so they add the extra A. So it's CIAA used for interplanetary communications and the deep space uh, network communications. There are a lot of Mm -hmm. issues here because you also have to consider what if something happens to the communications channel and you've got a spacecraft out there and for some reason, something happens to the communication channel. It's a very interesting situation that the entire communication system has the ability to switch over and say, okay, now our communications only go in one direction, the direction that's needed to preserve life and then preserve, you know, the spacecraft or whatever the purpose is. So it's a, it's a fascinating read. And I'd recommend that people pick up, if they're interested in, in looking at this, pick up RFC 4838 and take a look at that written in 2007. I mean, Vince Cerf is just such a luminary in this industry. This man is amazing. Back in 2007, that's when the, the first iPhone came out. I mean, we were all excited about the iPhone and he's sitting here writing interplanetary communication systems. Windows Vista came out. Well, okay, maybe we shouldn't talk about that. <laughs> So there were good things and bad things, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, if, if your audience is, if people are really interested in this and, and they want to, you know, encourage that next generation and excite them on something, they should really start by picking up that RFC 4838. They would be surprised. It's basically TCP IP with an added layer on it called the bundle protocol. 
So Laura, you have a way with words. How about you writing a new book about the interplanetary internet? You know, I I, I may do that. There is a, there's a software package you can download now, which is the interplanetary overlay network software that you can actually load and you can run the interplanetary overlay network or the ion network right on top of your normal TCP IP network. So, so people can get a chance to get, to feel what it's like to have interplanetary communications take place. Of course, you need to inject some latency there to be realistic, but... Uh... Is this an open source project, like on GitHub or someplace? Or um, Actually, if you go out to NASA's website, uh, or you could probably just Google ION uh, Interplanetary Overlay Network and see, what I'd recommend is that you take a look at how NASA has put together resources for the Interplanetary Overlay Network. And what they have is they have a whole set of training materials around it, teaching materials to help you explain to other people how this communication is taking place and why it is so unique. So, Laura, do you have any upcoming events that you would like to plug? I do. I do. I have a passion project coming up. We have a free virtual conference taking place on March 24th, and it runs all the way through March 30th as one of my outreach projects to the next generation, but also to many of the people that are in our industry now that want to do some upskilling or perhaps a lateral move or really get into a little more of the packet analysis side of things. I decided to put on this one week free event and I called many of my dear friends who are instructors and developers in the industry and asked them to share their knowledge with not only students, but professionals in the industry. This is taking place again online from March 24th to March 30th. We have 30 technical sessions and for the security audience, One of those technical sessions is going to be showing a brand new product that has never been seen before. The developer of this product comes from the TCP dump and Wireshark world, but they also are from the world of Zeke and Bro. And they're putting together some interesting elements into a brand new open source project that will be shown for the first time on March 24th. And it is something that deals with a lot of traffic when you are dealing with a ton of communications, but you need to find that needle in the haystack. How can we do it? And again, they're going to release it as an open source project and they're going to do a full demonstration for people and they will be there. The developers will be there during the event to answer questions on how they do what they do and make sure everyone gets a copy of this, uh, of this new project to work on. So very excited about and with it being virtual, especially these days, you know, no excuse not to miss right. it. Right. That's right. And and if somebody can't get into March 24th, which is the first day when the 30 sessions run live, that's okay because every session immediately goes on demand after it's presented the first time. So that way we know from the 24th to the 30th, we know that you'll have time to get in there. And we will have quizzes on all these sessions and we will be giving out open badges. So we will be giving out micro-credentials to prove that you understand, for example, uh, the core purpose of Security Onion and the elements within Security Onion or the primary scanning mechanisms built into NMAP. You know, and we've got Wireshark. We've got the core TLS communications. We've got Dr. Paul Vixie, and we are going to delve into Secure DNS, the two worlds of Secure DNS, you know, whether you want to do DNS over TLS or DLS over HTTPS. So 
we've got some really fascinating elements in this. And this should apply to the folks with certificates as well, the continuing education. Absolutely. Too, right? We will be giving out certificates of attendance and certificates of involvement. And of course, with open badges, you can put those open badges up on your Facebook page to show people that, hey, I do understand the, the two different camps on, you know, DNS, securing DNS. And I know the pros and cons of each. So you know, come and get some, achieve some open badges. We also, I've been reaching out to a lot of industry folks, asking them to fill out a survey, providing advice to the next generation or people within our industry who might want to make a lateral move or hitting a tough time in the industry. And I'm taking all of the results from this survey that's been out for quite a while, and I'm putting it into a free book that people will be able to download at the event. It's called the Mentor Manual. And it is advice from industry professionals to really inspire people and hopefully have people realize that we are all, you know, human and we all have good days and bad days, but hopefully here's some encouragement to keep going when the days are rough. That's really great, Laura. Once again, thank you for chatting with us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. This has been really fun. This podcast is brought to you by the Portland, Oregon chapter of the Open Web Application Security Project, OWASP. Check us out online and see how we're making the web a more secure place. Music is by Tomo and Animoy. And my name is John Whiteman. Thanks for listening.